Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast back again. You know, I always say, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Or as my mom would say, if you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. Or as my grandfather would say, iron sharpens iron. You know, a key component of success is who you surround yourself with. And as a business leader, you could potentially be an eagle flying alone. And that actually leads me to my guest today, who will be sharing the dangers of isolation and going it alone, who we should surround ourselves with to see the greatest success and how to be seen as an effective leader. And he's none other than Justin Keir. Now, to give you some background on Justin, he is a speaker and coach who specializes in leadership development and collaboration. His core philosophy of leadership is wrapped up in a quote by Dwight Eisenhower, which is, The art of leadership is getting other people to do what you want done because they want to do it. I love that quote. Now, after spending years in the education industry and running his own fitness business, he saw firsthand what it was like to lead people in something that was good for them, but that they didn't feel like doing. Now, he's had over a decade of working in leadership development and coaching that has given him a unique perspective on what it takes to lead effectively. And as an executive and performance coach, he's worked with leaders and teams from some of the largest companies in the world as well as individuals such as small business owners that are seeking to make more of an impact in their communities or men struggling with isolation and identity. Now, he is passionate about raising up men that are great leaders of themselves, their families, and their businesses, all seen through the lens of his faith. Justin, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to the One Broken Cock Podcast. Thank you so much, sir. I really do appreciate it. I'm looking forward to having a conversation. Yeah, it'll be fun and it's much needed. We have a lot of leaders out there that are somewhat stifled lately and they're trying to figure out what's going on. I know Corona stopped them in their tracks, but there's so many other components <laughs> right. of their business that is, is you know, neat. And we always sometimes have to look at who we're surrounding ourselves with, our inner circle, and should we yeah. reassess this, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, you mentioned in the little intro there of just how passionate I am about fighting off this this wave of isolation that tends to to come over leaders. And you know, you made that comment about eagles flying alone. And I think so many leaders think that that's the way it needs to be and that they need to separate themselves from the people underneath them or their team members or whoever it is. And it's it's always crazy to me because over the years, if we look all the way back in history, Isolation was the death penalty. <laughs> you know, in, in, in ancient civilizations, if they wanted to essentially assign the death penalty to somebody, they would kick them out of the group, kick them out of the tribe, and send them out on their own. And they, they knew, if, if I'm on my own, I'm not going to survive. But in, in this time, we've, we've gotten so accustomed to feeling like we have to do everything by ourselves, and it's, it's just stopping a lot of pe- leaders in their tracks because they're just getting stuck and they haven't built up that muscle of of reaching out to other people, whether it's the people on their team or, like you said, just the people around them, the people in their inner circle, peers to help hold them accountable. Uh, it, it's amazing what the difference that that makes. No, it is. I mean, what do you think about the the leaders out there that say, you know, I want an aura, you know, I want a mystique, and if I'm spending so much time with my team and my company, it kind of humanizes me, right? It makes me too accessible and there's too much familiarity there. You know what they say about familiarity breeds contempt, right? And we want people to look at us like we are larger than life that, you know, it's so hard to get an audience with us. And it's just this whole ball of, uh, I don't know if it's hubris or what it is, but they want to come up with this image of themselves. What do you think about leaders that have that perspective? 
You know, I think I understand where that comes from. And I think it comes from people wanting to have the most effectiveness within their team, within their company, within their organizations. And that's the way that they've been taught over the years. And so in their mind, they're equating, if I set myself up on this pedestal, we're going to be more effective. And what studies are starting to show over the years is that that's just not the case. And I think there is and I get it too. Leaders have this magnetism about them. They have this aura and this presence. But the, one of the words that you said that jumped out at me was the word humanize. And I, people are more willing to follow humans <laughs> than they are robots. And so just to, to have this kind of separate wall built up between you and the people that you're leading, uh, it it does establish uh, an aura, but it's, it's not a human aura. It's this kind of impartial, you know, unfeeling, uncaring entity that's over there in the big office. And it, it's someone that in a lot of ways just doesn't come across as human. But when we come across as human, then we can actually relate to some level with the people that we're, that we're leading. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to do everything exactly the way they do. We still have to be able to, uh, as leaders, look at the big picture. We need to be able to see things in slightly different light. And so I think there's kind of two things at play. There's one thing is we have to be able to, yes, relate to our team, but it doesn't mean that we have to get all of our support from our team. And that comes in with either peers from within our own organizations or within outside, you know, whether it's a mastermind group or a business development group that you're a part of or something like that where you're with peers, people that you respect and admire as well that can help hold you accountable to speak into you. So I think it's kind of both sides of that. If we need to not have this wall built up where people see us just as this unfeeling robot because we're just not going to get as much effectiveness out of them because people are going to do the bare minimum. When it's a leader that you are just following blindly because you feel like if I don't follow this leader or do what they tell me, then you're just going to do enough to get by. But if it's someone that you actually respect and you actually look up to in a lot of ways, you're going to do everything you can to give absolutely the most output you possibly can. And that's going to be better for everybody, not just the individual, not just you as a leader, but for the organization. No, absolutely. So essentially get off the ivory tower or the ivory throne and get out there amongst your people. No, I love that. So speaking of humanizing, let's humanize you for a little bit, right? Before we jump into some of these great techniques and and some of your views, let's talk about your background because it it shapes who you are, right? And I know you mentioned uh, to me offline that you are the son of a preacher. You were homeschooled. You know, I can only assume that being the son of a preacher brings out about a lot of pressure because there's a lot of eyes on you. You know, all of your actions reflect on your dad. And then of course, homeschooling, the knock on homeschooling is the fact that it's very tough on people socially that when they get out of school, it's hard for them to matriculate into society. What do you think about that? How did that shape you? And maybe some of the learning from that? Yeah, well, and it's funny too. I was having a conversation with someone just the other day about homeschooling in particular, about how uh, I was born in 82. I know that gives away my age, but uh, when we homeschooled, we homeschooled all the way through. And I joke with people that we were doing it before it was legal. <laughs> That's not <laughs> quite the case. It was, uh, but it was, there was definitely more of a kind of isolation to it at that time. And now some of our closest friends, uh, our kids go to go to public school, but we have some of our closest friends homeschool. And it's, there's, there's much more of a kind of widely uh, accepting view of it within society. But I, 
that pressure was definitely there on me to a certain degree, but I knew when I went off to college, uh, I would have some coming. And that was the first time I ever set foot in an official, I guess we'll call it an official classroom. And I would have people come up and ask me where I went to high school. And I'd tell them that I was homeschooled and they'd look at me and say, wow, really? I never would have guessed. (laughs) <laughs> and on the inside, I'm, yes, you know, I did it. I survived. I came out and I'm not normal. I'm not a freak. I'm not anything like that. But uh, I think what it, what it, I got from it, from whether it's growing up uh, in the church to, and, and having a dad as a pastor to the homeschool side, uh, it's just a reminder to me that people thrive in a lot of different environments. And there are some people, and, and I never got too in a sense, married to, let's say, homeschooling is the only way, it's the best way. Anybody that doesn't homeschool their kids is failing as a parent. And over the years, and I was in education for a little while, I taught school for several years. And it was just a reminder to me that not everyone uh, succeeds in the same environments. Not everybody uh, has success in the same environments. And some people that I, I, I look back on my homeschooling memories overall with, with fondness. And I feel like I have done okay in life and I did well in college. And I, I've done fine. It, it didn't hold me back. I can still carry on a conversation with people. I can still look them in the eye when I'm talking to them. And so I feel like it served me well, but there's probably people that they might try homeschooling with their kids and it just doesn't quite work. Or they, they send them to school and they're these huge proponents of public school or private school, whatever it is, and it just doesn't work in that environment. And that's kind of carried through to what I deal with now when it comes to, to dealing with leaders and, and team development and all that is everybody doesn't think exactly the same way. Everybody doesn't thrive in the, the same arenas with the same tools and resources. And so, you know, kind of transitioning from my background to what I get to do now, it's it's helping leaders understand that you might have people on your team that are succeeding and thriving in the way that you are leading them, but you have other people on your team that just aren't seeming to pull their weight. And sometimes that's because someone just is not the best fit for them. But sometimes it's because just the environment that they're in isn't pulling out the strengths that they really do have. And so for me, you know, there might be some people that grew up the son of a, a pastor and were homeschooled and are really struggling in life right now just because it wasn't the best fit for them. But for me, you know, I, I look around with where I am now and, and I'm happy with the way my life turned out in, in the vast majority of ways. So, and I think it's just a reminder that we don't all, we don't all see things the same way. We don't all succeed in the same environments. Uh, and, and that's true, whether it's, you know, you're a kid growing up in the education system or you're a, you're a, a piece or a cog within a corporate group or with an organization or a leadership team everybody's a little bit different. And the sooner we can recognize that, the sooner we can keep moving forward. No, absolutely. It was funny. I was looking at a post today and it was an old man and a kid. And one had a big flag that said Trump. Another one had a big flag that said Biden. And they're both embracing, mm-hmm. shaking hands. It was amazing because you see all, all you see on the news is all the violence and the, the hatred. And this was, this was great. Now, yeah. Let me ask you this question, sure, Justin. You make a point to let people know that you are in an interracial family, right? Now, yeah. I grew up in the church as well, and I don't know if this was drawn in your head, but it was basically, hey, Brian, you need to be equally yoked, right? I always took that as, you know, you need mm-hmm. to marry another believer, but they always use that in the racial context, you know, marry within your own race. Not sure if you went through that. What are some of the challenges that you face being in an interracial family? 
You know, it's one of the things that is interesting how, and we could probably have an entire another conversation about the the spiritual side and growing up in the church and all that. It's, it's fascinating to me, but it's our both of our families. Uh, so my wife is Nigerian. She moved here to the states when she was in about first grade, and so grew up here, but had obviously spent time in Nigeria with her family. Uh, but her her parents were very strong Christians, as was my parents, and I. I'll tell people sometimes that I almost think it would have been harder marrying someone that was American, but came from a completely different uh, religious upbringing, even though they were American and white and blonde or whatever, than it was marrying somebody that was of a different skin color, but we had commonalities uh, from the spiritual foundation for both of our families. And so in all honesty, and both of my, uh, our, my family and her family, overall, there was nothing but positive support. Probably the only thing, and my wife still asks and kind of reminds me of this, probably the only thing is my mother asked, this, is, this might have been the first time that they met her, but she asked, because she knows how much of a rebel I am, huh. uh, she just wanted to confirm that I wasn't dating someone that was of a different race just to be different. (laughs) And, you know, coming out of her mouth and even my wife laughs now is like, yeah, that was a weird thing to hear your mom say on that first day. It's like, yeah, that was kind of weird, but I know it was well-intentioned. And over the years, it's, it's, there's been zero issues. Uh, There have truly been zero issues between either of our families. You know, we've dealt with small, not even challenges here and there, but just early on of, you know, odd looks in a restaurant and, and we live where we are now. We're not quite in the country, but we're just outside of Atlanta, about 40, 45 minutes or so. Oh, okay. uh, some people joke that we live in the country. It's not quite the country. But so we have, you know, some, some country folks here that every now and then, depending on where we go, we're just a little more cautious or whatever. But overall, we've, we haven't had any major issues. We haven't had any major challenges on that side. We've certainly, just like any marriage relationship, we've had challenges along the way. But uh, we're coming up on 14 years now. So we're, wow. things are going well <laughs> so far. So uh, praying that it continues. But no, we, uh, that's one of the things I'm most thankful for is, is my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my two boys. They're my why, man. They're, they're everything for sure. You know, that is so refreshing to hear. I, I must say, that is awesome. But, you know, I'm just so happy for you. That is great. 14 years, I'm 12 myself. Nice. So um, I'm catching up to you at some point. But uh, You know, I, I never quite understood it when, you know, when I first got engaged. And again, this has been almost 14 years now. And I'd have people that I'd tell, yeah, I'm getting married and so-and-so. And they and they look at you with this weird look on their face and just, it was almost this, oh man, well, you know, enjoy your freedom while it lasts. And oh, I'm <laughs> right. so sorry. And, and, and some of that was just, you know, good natured kidding and all that. But I think there's a level of truth there that, that really saddens me to a degree because I, I couldn't imagine not being married to my wife and, you know, not raising the boys that we have. And to me, it's, again, it really is my my greatest achievement is meeting her and I guess somehow convincing her to marry me. But uh, yeah, I'm more grateful for that than anything else. No, it's true. I mean, it's all about mindset, knowing what you're getting yeah. yourself into. If you know that you have to sacrifice and this is the way it's going to be and you're accepting that, you know, yeah. some people, they do it because they feel they just have to do it. That's just what you do. You know, you go mm-hmm. to school, you get married, you have kids, you go to work and it's just a ABCD right down the line. But uh, it was the same right. way for me when I had kids. It was, oh my God, you're going to get no sleep. Oh, I feel bad for you. It was wonderful. You know, when it's your yeah. kids, 
it's not that bad. You know, it's like, it's not a big deal to hear him cry yeah. and to get that sleep. <laughs> and it's not a, it's not a problem. It's a labor of love. You know, it's just so great. I think it, it comes down to for, and this applies to men especially, but it also applies to leaders. But I think men, we just function better when we know there are people that are relying on us too. And I think there's a groundedness that comes from that. And I know it was, it was that way for me and not that I never made any mistakes after I started having kids, but it's just this reminder that there are people that are counting on me. And it's not just me kind of floating out here in the wind. There are these, these, my wife, but then these other two little humans here that they're counting on me. And I think that has a tendency to ground us as men and as husbands, but it also has a tendency to ground leaders when they embrace that side of it, that these people are they're counting on me. <laughs> they're counting on me to, to lead us forward, to, to kind of lead this charge. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of carryover between being a parent and being a leader, I think. But <laughs> that's one of the things that's always no, stuck true. with me is just that reminder that I, I think we, we function better when we're being grounded, you know, when there's some, some weight that we have to carry to a degree, obviously too much weight <laughs> gets to be too much, but yep. that sense of grounding, I think is important for all of us. No, it's true. You know, a lot of people have told me that, and I've experienced a little bit myself where, Hey, once you get married and have kids and you kind of lose your killer instinct and your edge, meaning that when you're younger, like myself, as an example, I used to have like a never say die attitude and I was willing to die for the cause. Cause if I did, it was okay. I dust myself off. I'd come back yeah. out and, and we just go right. to war again. The problem is you have kids, you act much more conservative because now you know, I can't die anymore because I have these kids to look out for and I can't risk certain things. So you start to overthink things. You start to tread a little bit more lightly. And I've had to deal with that over the last couple of years and, and, and understanding that and balancing that. That's a whole, you're right. It's a whole other subject in and of itself, but uh, you're right. <laughs> right. It, it does give you a different type of edge when you have responsibilities and it's not just you anymore. You know, men were simple creatures. It's like, Hey, no worries. But now you want to provide for your family and, and give them the best infrastructure, family experience, mm -hmm. uh, you know, possible. So totally understand. Yeah. Now, Justin, what was the transition? What led you to start your coaching career, uh, coaching future and current leaders? So I, I've always been interested in leadership. And even back in the day, my wife and I led a, a team leadership development program here in Atlanta. With, we worked with a nonprofit that she was with at the time. But uh, early on in my career, the biggest part of it was education and then fitness, uh, like you said at the beginning. And I really enjoyed aspects of fitness. And I did everything from one-on-one -on -one training to helping lead a boot camp to helping open a CrossFit gym and managing that for a while and then starting my own one-on-one -on -one training business. And so I obviously enjoyed aspects of that. But what I enjoyed the most was what fitness did for people outside of just the physical. And it wasn't for me, it, I mean, you know, abs are nice and having big biceps are, are great. But it was the way people carried themselves after they started to get in better shape. It was the confidence they carried themselves with. And after a while, it just got to the point where I knew I was tired of just telling people to do more push-ups and squats and burpees <laughs> and just counting reps and just kind of that side of it. It was, that was starting to weigh on me. And I just had that kind of the epiphany one day of, I've always been a coach and teacher at heart, but I think it's time to move to something to coaching something different. And for me, uh, it, it was that leadership development side. And, you know, I joke, I've got a buddy that's still in fitness and still really involved in it. And, and you know, he jokes that, you know, signing people up for a personal trainer or something like that is like getting people to pay to go to the dentist 
three days a week <laughs> because a lot of people just dread it in the same way they do going to the dentist. And it's so getting people to buy into something that they know is good for them and they know is going to have a positive net return on the back end, but they're not enjoying in the moment. That's what leadership's all about. <laughs> that's what, you know, getting people on your team that haven't quite bought into the vision and mission you have for what you're trying to accomplish. That's what it means to be a leader. And so I, I always enjoyed working with people and I always enjoyed seeing the best come out of them. So for me, it was, it was a natural transition. So I started early on, I started working with a guy here in Atlanta doing team development and team building and that transitioned to us doing a little bit more of the corporate side and leadership development and then started doing some other stuff on my own. And that's where kind of the speaking came out of it. I actually did a Ted talk last year and it's just continued to grow from there. It's awesome. It's great. You're living the dream, right? That's what they say. <laughs> but I, I think it, uh, I think it all depends on how we set up that, that dream and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about our mindset. It was just, you know, putting yourself in a position where this really is, you know, having that conversation with myself of what do I really want my life to be about? And whether that's me personally, whether it's the way I lead my family, and then it's what I'm giving back into the world and who I'm, I'm coaching. And uh, there's a lot of value in health and fitness. And I have got a lot of friends still in that space. But for me, it was, you know, the more we can, the more we can enhance that work side of people's lives, that ends up, number one, helping the business or organization do better, but it also bleeds over into your family life. And the, the happier you are at work, you're not dragging all that back home with you at the same time. And, and it just turns into this positive spiral of work keeps getting better and home life keeps getting better. And, and, you know, we keep bringing each other up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the same thing in the office. I mean, the more success yeah. people have, the happier they are, the culture gets better, better staff comes in, absolutely. turnover reduces, you know, the whole nine yards. You know, yeah. I love your perspective on leadership. You know, you're, you're quoted as saying, you know, when we get leadership right, results follow. And it always starts with the leader taking responsibility and providing the right mindset, frameworks, and direction. How often do you see leaders not taking responsibility, you know, placing the blame and pointing the finger at others? I do see that a lot. And I think it comes from one of two things. I think a lot of times it comes from just this self-imposed, they, they want to win so badly that when they're not winning, they're trying to get that off of them as quickly as possible. So I think there's one side of it that, that's that of, you know, well, I, I'm a winner. You know, uh, people that continue to move ahead in their careers and see themselves as a winner, that, that truly is in their psyche that I'm a winner. And so when something goes wrong and now they're not winning, well, it, it has to be from somebody else. It can't be from me because I'm a winner. And if we're not winning, then that's got to be somebody else's problem. So I think that's one side of it. The other side of it, I think, comes down to an element of, honestly, even leadership development in our, in our society today that almost doesn't want leaders uh, they almost see leaders strictly in that kind of 1950s, 1960s, you know, just dictator ivory tower, like you mentioned earlier, just set up in the throne. And so there's kind of this stigma around, well, you know, you don't need to be a leader. You need to make sure your entire team is involved. You make sure you're going to make decisions as a group and as an entity and you're not a leader. And so there's a little bit of this, this hesitancy to, to step up and actually lead. And while there's certainly value in keeping people engaged and involved in the process, that's what leaders are for is to help cast that vision. And it may not need to be done in a vacuum, but leaders are meant to lead and that's better for everybody. So I think there's part of the segment that just 
doesn't want to accept the fact that something's going wrong, it can be their fault because intrinsically they, they know that they're a winner. And if we're not winning, then it can't be me. And then the other side is the people that almost try too hard to go the other way that I'm not going to be that guy. So I'm just going to be, I'm just one of the guys. I'm just a part of the group. And so that vision and that, that purpose that they have for their team just never quite gets realized. No, absolutely. I see the same thing. How frequently do you see leaders that are completely out of touch with the sentiment of their staff? All the time. Uh, you know, they have no idea what's going on. Yeah, all the time. All the time. And, and that's one of the things that is so powerful for leaders. And this is why I, I push so much for collaboration is because clarity is power. When you know things, that gives you data, that gives you information, that gives you ammunition, for lack of a better term, for, to move forward. But when you don't have that clarity, you're, you're shooting blind and you have nothing to, to base things on and no point of reference. So I see it all the time, the leaders that just, you know, they, they do. They kind of s- separate themselves to the point where they truly don't know what's going on within their group, within their team members. And, and then the ones that actually can come down and actually start to engage and interact, they start, they gain perspectives that open up possibilities they never would have realized. And so that clarity is one of the, one of the things that effective leaders bring to the table better than anyone else. Uh, and it's one of the things that if a leader is not leading effectively, it's one of the first places they can start is trying to gain clarity about what really is going on. And, and you see case studies of that over and over again of people that, you know, leaders that get hired on at a new firm or they get uh, assigned to the head of a new team. And the first thing they do is spend two weeks just listening. And, walking around and talking to people and gathering information and gathering data before they just, you know, walk in and all right, it's my way or the highway. Let's go. Let's run forward. Uh, and so getting that clarity, I think is huge, but you're absolutely right. It happens all the time that I see leaders that just don't, that aren't in touch with anything that's going on in their teams. Yeah, no, it's a lot of times, you know, it's that we're too busy. I can't slow down to mm-hmm. stop and take a breath and really assess what's going on and then make those real time adjustments. Right. There's a, a phrase that, um, when I was in fitness, uh, I dealt a, to a large extent with weightlifting and barbell movements. And there was a phrase that, that I used that actually comes from the Navy SEALs, I believe, but it's slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And in a lot of weightlifting moves, you have to go smoothly. And so, but you also want to go fast because you want to get a lot of power or whatever you're looking for, but slowing down to where that movement is smooth lets you go faster. And it's a, it's a tough balance to have, but the same thing applies to, to what you're saying. It's being able to understand that by me slowing down just a little bit doesn't mean that I'm slowing down and wanting to, wanting to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish here and the vision with it that we're trying to meet. But by slowing down, we can smooth things out. And by going smoother, we get to go fast. <laughs> and so it's, it, it is a delicate balance. But yeah, slowing down to go faster Slowing down to speed up is definitely a big thing for leaders. And it's easier said than done sometimes. <laughs> That's why having people around you is so important. But it's definitely easier said than done. Well, that is a wonderful quote and a wonderful piece of advice. Do you think some of this has to do with the fact that they, are, they do have an inner circle around them that is keeping information from them? What I mean by that is a lot of times you see in organizations, there's middle management that report up to the executive officers, right? The executive committee or the CEO themselves. Right. 
And it's, we tell them we want to hear, we're yes men. Uh, we don't want to let them know what the actual problem is. So the root cause of these problems are not being looked at. And they really don't understand the sentiment of their team or the rank and file or the regular employees. And that's because middle, they're surrounding themselves with middle managers that are kind of a buffer between those people and themselves. Have you seen right. this or is this not happening as often as, as I've yeah. seen it? No, it's, it's definitely happening. And, and, and that comes from, I think a lot of leaders feel like, especially at those upper levels, that they can just say something to the middle managers and that'll automatically get passed down. So they might say, hey, I want to hear feedback. And the middle managers hear that and think, okay, sure you do. And, so, and they really either, they don't, um, they don't communicate that to the, the rest of the team or they communicate like, yeah, he wants feedback, but let's make sure we only give him the good feedback. And so there's that, that disconnect there. Part of it comes down to understanding that, that that's there. There is an aura about anyone that's in charge, whether you're a good leader or a bad leader, there is that sense of, okay, this person says something, I don't want to disappoint them. And it's part of our job to understand that that's in place and be patient and consistent about insisting on asking for that, let's say feedback uh, or uh, information that you, that you really are after. And so uh, I have people all the time that I'll start coaching them. And, and part of the coaching process is going to their people for, for feedback. And they'll come back to me after the first time of gathering feedback and say, yeah, nobody really had everything had anything for me or they just said, you know, this bland kind of, you know, cookie cutter response. And I said, okay, good. We're going to ask them again in two weeks. And then we're going to ask them again in two weeks. And eventually they're going to start to realize, oh, he, he actually does want to listen to me. <laughs> he right. actually does want to hear what I have to say. Uh, but it takes time to build that up because people have had so many experiences over the course of their life where there are, there are bosses and leaders that really are like that. And they really don't want to hear the truth. And you really will get, you know, someone jumping all over you if you share something that disagrees with them. And so the good leaders have to understand that that's built into a lot of people. And it's just going to take time for us to, to draw that out of them a little bit and let them know that, no, I mean this. And this, this is part of who I am as a leader. I want to hear this. And you may not give me a great answer now, or you may hold back on your answer now. All right. I'm going to ask you again and I'm going to ask you again. I'm going to keep asking because this really does matter to me. Definitely. Definitely. It's following through showing that you actually care. It's not just an empty yeah. gesture, right? That's, Absolutely. that's very, very important. Now from the clients that you work with, Justin, where are leaders failing the most? If you could pin it down to one thing. Where are leaders feel failing the most? Yeah. In your view. I think it's that, I think it comes back to something we talked about at the beginning. It's that that uh, almost intrinsic or subconscious desire to isolate themselves. I think that's where they're failing the most. They're isolating themselves from two groups, from the, the team that they're trying to lead, because they do feel, like you said at the beginning, that they need to be kind of up on this pedestal. And they're also isolating themselves from, I'll say peers, but not just the, the peer that say in the office or, you know, the other VPs on, on the executive team or whoever it is, but, but truly understanding that the people that they're around are, are going to impact them and, and making those good relationships, making honest connections with other leaders that they look up to being in a room where, you know, you can gain something from the other people, but at the same time, so into their lives as well. Uh, I'll give you a really quick story. A couple years ago, um, 
I was involved or, and going to a conference here in Atlanta that dealt with, don't laugh, but of all things, uh, men's style. And there were two guys that put this conference on. And they were both really big in the online kind of men's style and fashion space. Uh, both of them had these big YouTube channels and all this stuff and still do. And they said they got people all the time asking, you know, why are you working together? Aren't you guys competition? Aren't you guys, in, you know, you should be enemies. You should not want the other person to succeed. They said, no, we, we never really had that thought, even though people told us that. But when we made the connection to each other and put on this conference together, they said from that point, their businesses had never done better. Or that they continued and their businesses moved on in ways they never would have imagined. And it was just this reminder that the people around you you might think of your competition really aren't. And so I'd say that's the biggest thing plaguing leaders is, is a sense of isolation from their own teams and from the people around them that really can help them grow. No, definitely, definitely. How do you think they overcome that? You know, it's, to me, it's ingrained in them somehow. There's some reason why they're doing this, whether it be a trust issue of their team or like we talked about before, the ivory tower syndrome how hard is it to get them off of this? And maybe there's some clients you have that have never been able to overcome it. What, what's that aha moment for these people? Some of that comes down to, with the clients that I work with, of, of understanding that, that people's brains do work differently and that a lot of people that have reached uh, high positions of leadership or they've reached a, you know, a certain level in their companies, that their, their brains are conditioned to win. Their brains are conditioned to hit goals, set goals, hit goals, see results, drive forward. Uh, and there's a lot of people on their team that are primarily driven more by connection or by freedom than, than they are. And helping them come to the realization that when you do connect with other people, it actually is going to lift you up. That's their, their connection between people and communication and connection to others and actually seeing better results, seeing that connection is what makes the difference. Because uh, a lot of a lot of leaders, whether they're you know just a small business owner or they're a CEO, they want to win, they want to see results, and that's what matters. And I get it. And it's true in a lot of cases. But they see and they see as um, the connection side and the communication side as being almost opposed to that. It's almost the other end. If I if I communicate more, then we're going to see fewer results. And so the the higher up people get, the more that communication and the more that true leadership actually impacts your goals is the aha moment for people. It's wow, I. I would have thought that by me spending more time listening to my people, they would have seen me as less than, but they're all saying that they're more attached to me as a leader and they're actually working harder now. And we actually had the best month we've ever had last month. And, and so they're starting to see that connection because a lot of, a lot of leaders just get kind of trapped in their own way of thinking. And that, that goes back to clarity as well, seeing that there's, there's a big picture here and that by, enhancing that communication side, you actually are going to, to accomplish the goals you want to accomplish here within your, whatever the organization is. It could be a, a middle school basketball team or it could be a Fortune 500 company. But the more you can connect that with, yes, by us communicating better, we're actually going to be more successful. And I think that's, in some ways, that's the failing of, 
the leadership development industry and, you know, team building as a whole. And there's certainly some good ones out there, but there's also kind of a segment that it's, they put communication up as we want to communicate better because communication is good. And leaders just gloss over. It's like, well, I don't care if it's good. Is it going to give me better results? And so right. making, that, making that connection between the two is what has, for me, is what has made the biggest difference with the folks that I've gotten to work with. And it's the ones, the ones that have struggled are the ones that my failing as a coach was I couldn't quite get that through to them of making that connection. And thankfully, I've gotten better at it over the years. But, you know, that's the ones that really struggle is they don't see that connection between you're actually being more of a human. But because of that, you're accomplishing bigger and better goals than you ever have before. Yeah, exactly. That's wonderful. Now, a couple of quick questions before we wrap up, uh, Justin. Yeah. Who should we surround ourselves with and what type of people should we surround ourselves with to see the greatest success in business, you know, in life? We need, I believe there's four. <laughs> I need, there, there are four people that all of us need to surround ourselves with. One of them is someone that sees things more creatively than we do, that has a big picture brain that is not artistic and necessarily, you know, paint on canvas or music notes kind of artistic, but someone that sees things in creative ways that we don't. We need someone to see things that we can't. We need someone that is going to challenge us, that someone is going to push us. We, one of those four people is someone that is in a position that is in some respects where we want to go. So we need some, someone that we can almost look up to somewhat of a mentor, but not just a mentor, but someone that we can almost aspire to. So we need someone, first person is someone that challenges us creatively. Second person is someone that, that challenges us in the sense of we want to be more like that person. We need someone in our life that helps hold us accountable. We need someone that that person needs to be someone that can truly speak honestly to us and will actually listen to it and we'll listen to that. And then finally, we need someone that's just going to be there. We need someone in our life that truly is just a friend, that they're separate to a degree from our success and our business. So it's not, you know, the, the guy down the hall, but it's someone that really is just going to be there for us. And if we have those four people around us, we have someone that uh, sees things that we don't see. We have someone that pushes us to be better. We have someone that holds us accountable and will tell us when we're messing up and that we have someone that is flat out just going to be there for us when we need them. Those four people surrounding you and you're going to go a long way. Definitely. No, I love that. And how do business owners or entrepreneurs be seen or viewed as an effective leader? By, and I know I put this question in my thing and it's one of my favorites to answer because we're, we're seen by being better leaders when people are, are following us. Right. And so for us to be seen as a better leader, we have to lead better. It, it comes down to, and I know that's somewhat of a, a, you know, a catch in the answer, but we have to, we have to accept the responsibility as leaders that if people aren't following us, uh, we have to be able to look inward and take steps to improve that. We have to be a leader worth following. And, you know, that comes back to our conversation earlier about myself as a husband and a father. Uh, I, if I want my family, my wife and my kids to follow me, I've got to be worthy of being followed. 
And so I think trying to, you know, get people to follow you just because you're their boss and they're expected to, and you can fire them if, if they don't. Uh, to me, people are never going to truly see you as a leader. Uh, but by actually being worthy of, of leadership and by actually stepping up, doing what you say you're going to do, uh, being honest, being trustworthy, accomplishing big goals, and bringing people along with you, uh, that's how you're truly seen as a leader. You're seen as a leader when you're behaving in a way and your behaviors are communicating to other people that you're worthy of being followed. Great. That's very well said. Justin, it's been a pleasure. Any last thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to share with the audience before we uh, wrap up? No, man, I, I, I think that's it. I think we got to cover a lot. Uh, and like I said at the beginning, I really appreciate you having me on. But yeah, I think, more, I think the more conversations like this people have, the better off all of us leaders are going to be. <laughs> and understanding that it's, you know, I, I'm a big fan of competition. Competition is a good thing, but we got to know who we're competing against. And we're not always competing against the people we think we are. And so being able to pull those people around you into your circle is, is going to make a powerful difference. No, I love it. You know, iron sharpens iron, as we mentioned. And, you know, you need those people around you to inspire you and to to get you fired up when you truly need it and vice versa, right? So very, very last question, Justin, just a personal question. Just get to know you a little bit better. Uh, You're on an island for the rest of your life. You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be? (sighs) Um, Book, movie, and all right. So the book is going to be hollowed out and inside is going to be hidden a fire starter. Um, the, it, it would have to be, uh, for me, it would have to be the Bible. Uh, unlike some preacher kids, I did not completely depart uh, my, uh, my walk with the Lord uh, over the years. So uh, it would have to be the Bible. Album would probably have to be a Dave Matthews album. And uh, you'd have to, you know, I don't know if I could choose which one, but it would have to be a Dave Matthews album. And then the movie would probably be Gladiator. Nice. Yep, that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Wonderful. Justin, it's been awesome. How do people get in touch with you? We have a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs that obviously need your help. Uh, How can they contact you and learn more? Uh, Best way is through uh, website or social media, and it's almost all Justin Kier Speaks. So it's Justin, last name is K-I-E-R Speaks. Uh, so that's the website, justinkierspeaks.com. But find me on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all that as well. Justin Kier Speaks and, and you'll find me. Wonderful. Justin, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us and uh, keep up the good work and keep the faith, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.